is the Under Center Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Under Center Podcast. I'm your host, Dara Martin, and I'm joined, of course, by Fionn Malloy. As always, unfortunately, Jake is not able to make it today for our Thursday night preview show. Of course, we are previewing the Ravens traveling to Miami to take on the Dolphins. Uh, we are going to be speaking to uh, Kevin Ostrager from the Lockdown Ravens podcast in a little bit. But first, we are delighted to be joined by Tom Ernesti. Uh, I hope I pronounced it right there, Tom, <laughs> from uh, uh, DolphinsTalk.com. Tom, it's great to speak to you. How are you? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me on. No problem at all. No problem at all. We'll get into uh, previewing the game in just one second. Before we do, we should mention that this show today is brought to you by McGowan's of Bibsborough. Upstairs at McGowan's is the place to be for your NFL Sundays. McGowan's has everything you'll need. Multiple screens to watch the games and NFL Red Zone on their big projector, as well as some tasty points and some tastier food, uh, including as well some drink deals, including... I should mention, if a player on the main Sky Sports game scores a touchdown, two-for-one drinks will be available for the rest of that quarter. What more do you need? So I'm make sure. Problem, man. <laughs> <laughs> we will wait, welcome you to it. Also, I should mention, when you do arrive, Tom, and, and you can avail of this too now on Sunday, and you do arrive for the first hour of uh, NFL Red Zone, if you mention the Under Center podcast, you will get two for one drinks as well. Oh, it's the it's the best Sunday. Where else are you gonna go? Like, <laughs> there's nowhere can't do it here. <laughs> <laughs> so make sure you do book your table for Sunday. Keep an eye on our social uh, media pages and McGowan's social media pages for links to where you can book your table. Of course, in accordance with the uh, government uh, COVID regulations. So make sure you get down there for Sunday. And thank you, of course, to McGowan's for sponsoring this show but the advertisements out of the way let's talk about this game on thursday night uh before we actually get into the actual game itself tom how have you felt um the season as a whole has gone for the dolphins because i'm guessing it hasn't after the, the 10 and 6 year last year it, it's not been great so far uh it's an absolute train wreck um nothing has seemed to work for the miami dolphins this year um Offensive line is given up the most pressures in the league, and it, it's not even close. The 234 pressures at, at dead last, and next closest team is Carolina in the 180s in regards to total pressures allowed. So that hasn't allowed any part of this offense, this RPO system that they wanted to do. It, it, they can't do it. So they're throwing away the playbook, and, and basically it's just been vanilla concepts, balls out of the quarterback's hand in two and a half seconds, and, and that's it. Uh, throwing the ball down the field is just something that they can't do. They can't establish the ground game. Have I said the season was a disaster? I think I did. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's falling apart and, um, and it doesn't look like anything positive has been coming from this season, especially in uh, year two um, for the, for the Miami Dolphins quarterback and, you know, the, the shopping of the Houston quarterback and everything else. It just seems like, this organization's in disarray and it just doesn't seem like there's any way out of it right now. Well, it just goes to show, uh, sorry, Fionn, it just goes to show and Fionn can attest to this because he's a Washington fan. What happens to a team when Ryan Fitzpatrick goes out of it? 
They fall apart. <laughs> they fall they apart. apart. Exactly. Sorry, Fiona. I didn't mean to step in. No, no problem. Speaking of quarterbacks, Tom, who is the starting quarterback in the Dolphins at the moment? Are you a fan of keeping Tua in there as long as possible? Or would you rather just stick with Jacoby Brissett, kind of reset the franchise quarterback label and go again and see if you can find another diamond somewhere? No, they need to play Tua. Um, okay. They need to know what they have before they mm-hmm. make any rash decisions uh, with that quarterback room. And in as an organization and understanding where Tua is in his second season, has he made mistakes? Yes. You know, he's re- still hasn't played a full season of football yet. Uh, he wanted to play on Sunday. They decided to keep him out uh, this week in practice. He was limited. He did throw today on Wednesday. Uh, as we're recording, he did throw the football. He was making 20 yard throws. He seemed to be comfortable. So they, I think what they're doing is little mind games with the Ravens trying to, you know, see who is going to be the starting quarterback. But if Tua is healthy, he needs to be the guy. Um, they have to figure out, is he the franchise quarterback they envisioned when they picked him fifth or are they ready to move on? And it seemed with all the trade talk that they were ready to move on. And because that trade hasn't happened yet and the the cost of uh, the Houston quarterback is going to go up over the course of the next few months, if he is cleared of all these charges, there are other teams that are going to be looking at getting him. So the Dolphins aren't the only team that will be trying to acquire him. And if Tua does play well, they need to develop an offensive line. And when I say develop, go buy some. (laughs) Go buy some offensive linemen because they can't haven't been able to develop really any of the young guys on this roster, uh, and they need to give him a starting running back. You know, Gaskin is a good, capable player, but he's not a starting back in this in the NFL. So they need to do more to help Tua, and it's really the offensive line. If you can give him more than a second and a half before he gets clocked by a defensive end, we can really see some of the things that he does really well and he has played well at times this year it's just people focus on the on the bad mistakes Mm -hmm. that he's made in a couple games when he came back against Jacksonville and against Atlanta but in both of those games he showed flashes of brilliance and he was moving the offense versus Jacoby Brissett where they have they couldn't even move the ball against Houston which is the 31st ranked defense in football so yeah and and for all those reasons that you mentioned there with with the issues in the offensive line um, is it maybe a, a little bit of a risk to be taking playing to it with such a short turnover? I know he didn't play last week, but with the, the rib injury and now with the finger injury as well against yep. this Ravens defense and it, like with Ravens defensive coordinator, um, Ron Martin or Don Martindale, I should say, who likes the blitz, could he be you know just in for a rough night and maybe aggravate an injury? He, you know, at this point, again, if you're scared to play him, then you definitely made the wrong decision. Right. You, if he's healthy, if he can grip the football and throw it with that finger, he plays. If you don't and you're holding him out for whatever reason, the coaching staff just, they need to go because that's not the way you run your organization. If your quarterback is healthy, you play. If he's not healthy, obviously broken ribs, that's a whole different story broken uh, fractured finger hairline fracture on the finger he wanted to play 
period, end of story. He wanted to go. And you could see it with him walking on the sideline. He was chomping at the bit to get in there and play. Um, You play him, no matter what. I don't care if the opponent, if he gets his butt kicked, he did against Buffalo twice. He got hurt against Buffalo twice. He finished this game because it was it was a finger. Uh, the broken ribs, obviously, you, you can't really breathe very well if you have broken ribs. But he's got to play. It doesn't matter. Uh, the Ravens have a good have a solid defense. They're 23rd in the NFL, though, and they're 31st against the pass. This is a game where he can go out there and, and, and prove it. And it's under the bright lights of primetime football. Yeah. And is is maybe his, you know, is the is inability maybe well, I don't know if inability is the right word, but I'm just gonna use it for this one. Inability maybe ad lib a little bit, maybe hurting him a little more because like you're saying, he, he is playing well sort of at the start of the games and not most notably you know, teams will sort of set out their first maybe what two drives of set down plays that they're going to use and he's done them and he's actually done them quite successfully but when it comes to the later in the game where he has to change things up a little bit he struggled um do you think now obviously this is only his second year his first full year starting you know and uh, we're not expecting him to get to be uh you know knowing every play and knowing what to do in, in every situation but you know is that part of his game sort of worrying uh Dolphins coaching staff a little bit. Uh, it might be worrying the coaching staff a little bit, but I will say they're just not using his strengths. His strengths is fast paced, get to the line of scrimmage, snap the ball, and just keep moving. It seems when, like you said, when they go on script for that first drive of each half, he's lights out. He plays great. But then they kind of slow things down. You know, if the passing game is working and the run game isn't, they're going to try to run the ball. And I'm a big proponent of trying to run the football mm-hmm. to try to keep the defense off balance. But if you're picking up chunk plays, six, seven, eight yards on first down, throwing the football, you keep throwing the football. Mm-hmm. They get away from it. Um, I Watching Tua this year as well as last year, he's very – good when it comes to fourth quarter play he's actually got one of the highest passer ratings and i mean it's a short time but it's one of the highest in nfl history in the fourth quarter so he can get the job done i think he's being handcuffed by what's in front of him with the offensive line and the coaching staff doesn't trust really anything with his offense at this point Tom, what about his supporting cast? We've obviously talked a little bit about Gaskins at running back, and he said he's he's a decent back, but maybe not a, a star back or a, or a feature back that you need in the NFL these days. Right. How have you felt the wide receivers have settled in? Obviously, you know Jalen Waddle very well from his, his college days at Alabama. Yeah. Gasecki, of course, is leading the team with yards. Probably unsurprising, given the turmoil that's been around that quarterback position. We often see those tight end safety blankets get a lot of yardage. Is there anything more that can be done with with the supporting cast to give him a hand, in your opinion? Or have you been happy with how they performed so far this year? Uh, I haven't been happy with what I've seen uh, outside of, like you said, Mike Kosicki and Jalen Waddell. Both those guys are uh, are very good. Uh, Mike Kosicki, obviously, into a contract year where the, the team I'm expecting the team that will be placing the franchise tag on him and not let him just walk into free agency. So they can work out a long-term deal. And Jalen Waddle 
leads the NFL in, in regards of rookies in total receptions. The problem is they're not utilizing his strengths, which is run down the football field, throw a deep ball, let him get under it, make a play and, you know, get away from the secondary. Um, but, you know, he's doing what's asked of him and he's doing it very well. I'm, I'm very pleased with that. Uh, Devonte Parker is injured again. The problem is you can't rely on him when he's healthy. He's a very good wide receiver. The problem mm-hmm. is he can't stay healthy. Will Fuller broke his finger. Uh, I believe it was against the Colts and we haven't seen him back. Uh, he's still out with it, with that injury. I guess he mangled his finger to the point where he can't play right now. So that has been an absolute flop of $10 million that was spent in the off season. They shipped off Jakeem Grant because he was, he's not reliable in a, as a wide receiver and he, he, he's making too many stakes on special teams. Uh, Albert Wilson is a shell of who he was um, back in 2018 prior to uh, that hip injury against the lions. He was great, but he's lost himself. He didn't play football last year because he sat out with the COVID, which is fine. He didn't feel comfortable playing. Um, and now they've, you know, Matt Collins is a good special teams guy, but you can't rely on him as a number one wide receiver, which he's taking Devonte Parker's spot in, in that regards. And Isaiah Ford is a practice squad guy that bounces up and down and Kirk Merritt just started playing last week. So no, I haven't been happy with what the, the room has looked like outside of those two. And, um, they lead the NFL in drops. You can't work your offense if you can't catch the football. Yeah, and Tom, I want to move on to the defensive side of the ball because obviously it's going to be very important um, for the defense to stop the run. And it's going to be tough, obviously, with not just the running backs of Freeman, Murray and and Bell, but also you have to deal with, with Lamar Jackson as well. Yeah. And How important is Jerome Baker going to be in this game? Because he leads the team with tackles this year. He actually got himself an interception on Sunday as well. He's he is sort of the main guy in that linebacking position that is going to have to have a good game to uh, give the Dolphins a chance. Yeah, he's going to have to play a vital role. I on our post game wrap up show and as well as uh, my Monday show, I mentioned Jerome Baker as the guy that needs to be the spy. He needs to be the guy that just watches Lamar Jackson, and it's important that you know they have a spy on Lamar Jackson because he's very good at when the communication on the play breaks down, he's very good at improvising and using his legs. And he, I believe he's over 600 yards rushing on the season. So he's on pace to do like 1100, 1200 yards as a quarterback. And on top of that, he's throwing the ball really well right now. So the dolphins just can't think that he's just going to run the ball. They have to be able to use their zone defense to be able to prevent a lot of these plays from Lamar Jackson but once he gets out of that pocket, players have to be disciplined. The offense, uh, defensive line has to stay in their rushing lanes. They can't get overly creative and just let Lamar Jackson break free up the middle either. It's a tall task, but Jerome Baker's got – I believe he's going to be the guy that's going to be the spy. I'm sure that they're going to work in a couple other guys, maybe work in uh, like a Javon Holland or a Brandon Jones is also guys that they could use as spies on Lamar Jackson on certain plays. But Baker's, he's got to be the guy. He's got to be the quarterback of that defense and and get these guys tackling because you can't give up the big plays on the ground because it's going to start hurting you when the, um, they start beating you over the top. Yeah, and 
going further back then in the field you mentioned with with Lamar and, and, and how well he's actually trying the ball this year. Um the the cornerback duo of Jones and Howard is going to be important to stopping uh Marquise Brown and it would be either Bateman or Duvernay, whichever one is in the game yep. at the time. How is the relationship between Xavier Howard and and the organization? Because he obviously he wasn't happy at the start of the year, asked for a trade or his contract to be improved, and yeah. his thing sort of settled a little bit now. Uh, it seems like it has. I'm sure once with the season ends and that conversation actually has to happen with his contract, I'm sure that's where some points of contention will will pop up. I, I'm not sure what to expect with the Xavier Howard situ- situation. Obviously, is as fans of the Dolphins, we, we all want him here. We want mm-hmm. to see Xavier Howard in this lineup because when he plays, he's he's a very good uh, corner in the NFL and arguably could have been Defensive Player of the Year last year. Um, but, you know, time will tell with that. Time will tell to see if the team will, um, you know, continue to, uh, you know, pay him and give him what he was asking for, which is why that negotiation happened in the off season and why he's here and why he's playing and not sitting out. Um, his numbers aren't great to where they were last year. And the part of the agreement was, you know, we'll figure out how you play this year and then we'll make the adjustments from there. So if he falls short, cause he bet on himself, the team may not do anything, but they're going to have good faith negotiations with Xavier Howard and his agent and see where it goes. And, Hopefully uh, he stays in Miami for the rest of his career. If not, the Dolphins will probably get some high draft picks for him, but time will tell. Yeah. I if there was a team, I, I, can't, I can't remember off the top of my head, but before the trade line, the trade deadline that did go for him as well. It was Baltimore. Um, it was it was Baltimore. It was yeah. actually Baltimore, yeah. Um, I'm guessing there was no sort of even discussions to, to let him go before the trade deadline. Uh, we are led to believe that that's the case. Um, Brian Flores said, you can write this down. We're not trading Xavier Howard. He also said that they weren't trading Laramie Tunsil. And, you know, that was, that was history. So, uh, but you know, Chris Greer has shown that he's not afraid to pick up the phone and hear what people have to offer for their better players. Uh, Xavier Howard is going to cost a lot more than a first round pick. Mm-hmm. That's, that's absolutely a given. So how much they would be willing to part with him, we'll see. You know, they were blown away with that Laramie Tunsil trade, three first and two seconds. It's hard to say no to something like that for a left tackle. You know, that's quarterback trade right there. And that's what they're trying to get out of Deshaun Watson's uh, deal. So um, I hope Xavier Howard stays. I hope they do the smart thing because everything that's predicated in uh, with Brian Flores' defense is having two corners that can play man coverage. Mm-hmm. Tom, since you brought up Brian Flores, in your opinion, how hot is his seat at the moment? Is it going to come down to his record at the end of this season? Or can he save it maybe on uh, how the team responds, if you know what I mean? And is it directly to do with the win column, or can he save his seat uh, based on how he performs over the end of the season? Is there anything hotter than lava? <laughs> uh, <laughs> all joking aside, I, I think his seat isn't as hot as many believe. I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the owner, Stephen Ross, doesn't want to continuously make changes. They want to see this through. They want to see if this thing can be built 
based on what they said in 2019 when they hired Brian Flores and Chris Greer to be the full-time GM. I think a lot of what's happening right now is does the team respond to everything that he's saying? Can the team improve? Like, you know, like you mentioned, Fionn, is Brian Flores teams, the first two years he's been head coach are better in the second half of the season than they are in the first. So we have hit that second point, uh, second half of the season and can the team continuously improve? Can they figure out a way to pull off a massive upset against the Baltimore Ravens? Cause their schedule is a little nicer as we go down the stretch. You know uh, I think it's going to take, for my opinion, I think it's going to take the team to get to seven or eight wins for the noise to calm down. But at the same time, if that does happen and Tua is your starting quarterback and they get to that win total and it's because Tua helped them get there, it's harder to move on from him. Mm-hmm. They just have to improve around him. And that's, a, again, that's the offensive line. Yeah, and looking at the, the schedule, especially the next uh, three games after this one now on, on Thursday and and because it's three games and then they have of course their bye at the Jets at home to the Panthers and at home to the Giants and obviously with the news that Sam Darnold is going to be is more than likely going to miss that game now with, with a shoulder injury there are some very winnable games uh, on that stretch and yeah. turn two and two and seven as it is now to, into possibly hopefully maybe tr- four maybe five yeah. wins there, there's obviously a chance. It's just, you know, can the defense continue to improve over the last two games? Uh, you know, the first half against Buffalo, they were fantastic. They were great against a very bad Houston Texans team, but we saw the glimpses of what that defense was able to do in 2020. We saw the Amoeba blitz. We saw the cover zero looks. We saw the exotic blitzes that they were throwing at Tyrod Taylor, and it all worked. Can they do that to Lamar Jackson? That's the biggest thing. If they can miraculously pull an upset Thursday night against Baltimore to get to three and seven, like you said, that schedule does lighten up. But what happens with winning? Confidence is being built. The team starts to play a lot harder. The team starts to figure things out. So before the bye week, could they find themselves at five? Could they even find themselves at six wins? That is the biggest question. I don't know if that will happen. But if it does, that is going to relieve a lot of the stress that's happening in South Florida right now with that organization. But it all starts with a win, one game at a time before you can start even thinking about the Jets. Yeah, exactly. And finally, before we sort of um, wrap up here as well, you know, is there any sort of other areas that you're looking out for tonight to see that are, are, are quietly being important to the Dolphins um, to come out on top? Uh, defensively, you know, stay disciplined in your lanes. Don't let Lamar Jackson get out of, you know, go crazy. Uh, they have to force turnovers. Baltimore has turned the ball over this year. That's, that's not a secret. They do, do they do it a lot? No, but have they? Yes. You got to be able to get the ball in plus territory and you have to capitalize on that. So the offense has to stay balanced. They have to, uh, pick up first downs and they have to put points on the board. When the Dolphins have gotten in the red zone this year, they've been fairly successful in regards to putting it into the end zone. But they have to do that consistently against Baltimore. If you can make Baltimore one-dimensional, throwing the football, 
you might be able to pull off an upset, but it's mm-hmm. it's got to, it's going to take an army to be able to beat this team. Baltimore has obliterated the Miami Dolphins the last two times they've played by the tune of if I get the score right, ninety nine to ten, the last two times they've played. So it's a tall task. Uh, hopefully the Dolphins figure it out and, and pull out a win. Well, hey, look, I know you're having the struggles with, with Tua and Jacoby Brissett, but at least you're not back in the, the Matt Moore days of when I think they got blown out by the, the Ravens a couple of seasons ago. I remember that game well. I think it was around Christmas time as well, yep. um, that one. But listen, Tom, it's been great having you on the show. Thanks so much for taking time to speak to us. Before we do let you go, um, where can uh, people find your work? uh dolphinstalk.com uh all of our podcasts go on to there all you know soundcloud apple itunes stitcher uh, spotify it, we're everywhere uh also miamidolphins.com we have an article every day called the blitz uh that is posted on the main dolphins website as well as the previous day's podcasts um you can listen to there as well uh also find me on twitter at dolphins talk tom Excellent stuff. Listen, Tom, it's been great having you on to preview the game. Um, I don't know if you um, are feeling up to it, but you want to give a, a score prediction for, for Thursday? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I'm not I'm not confident in, in the Dolphins finding the upset. I mean, if Tua plays, I think this game might be a little bit closer. Uh, but if it's Jacoby Brissett, I think the Ravens are going to win 34-13. Okay. Excellent. Well, uh, we hope you try to enjoy some of the game at least. On oh, on I, w- I will if number one is playing for sure because uh, I, <laughs> I I usually play closer attention uh, when he's in there. If, if Jacoby Brissett's in, I'm usually like this watching. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, you know, I appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, you know, I look forward to hearing your work going forward. No problem at all. We we look forward to having you on the show again in in the near future as well. Um, thanks so much again. We're going to take a quick break here, but when we come back, we're going to be looking at the Ravens side of the game with Kevin Ostrager from Locked On Ravens. So we'll see you in about a minute. And you're welcome back to the Under Center podcast with Dara and Fionn. Uh, we are of course previewing tonight's Thursday night football the Baltimore Ravens traveling to Miami to take on the Dolphins. Uh, We are delighted to be joined by Kevin Ostrager, uh, or a friend of the show, I should say, from the Lockdown Ravens podcast and the Ravens Wire. Kevin, how are you? I'm doing well, guys. I'm glad to be back on the show. Second time appearance for me, so I'm glad that I'm able to talk some football. And I know we talked before the season started last time, so now we have some actual stuff to talk about that's happened so far this year. Yeah, and I promise you that Jake is not here, so he will not be asking about Lamar going to the toilet. Okay. Uh, But before we do get into it, I must mention as well that this show, of course, is brought to you by McGowan's of Fibsborough. Upstairs at McGowan's is the place to be on NFL Sunday. McGowan has everything you need, multiple screens to watch the games and the NFL Red Zone on their big projector with some tasty points and some even better food drink deals including if a player on the main sky sports game scores a touchdown then you get two for one drinks for the rest of the quarter the touchdown is scored in whether there's 14 minutes left or two minutes left in that quarter it's two for one drinks make sure you book your table for sunday by keeping an eye on our social pages and the mcgowan social pages too of course in line with government regulations Mm -hmm. and also a big thank you to mcgowan's for sponsoring 
the show. But let's uh, get into it. And we spoke in the first half about the Dolphins side, but we're going to speak about the Ravens side. And before we actually get into the, the, the matchup itself tonight, Kevin, how have you felt the uh, the season has gone so far for the Ravens? Yeah, I, I've been very impressed. I know the, the big storyline for this team has been injuries and just what they've gone through in that regard with players like J.K. Dobbins and Marcus Peters and Gus Edwards and L.J. Fort going down before the year. They've had guys during the season go down for multiple weeks for the season. The team just lost to Sean Elliott. They're starting safety for the season. But despite all that, they're 6-2. and two. They're on top of the AFC North, have one of the best records in the AFC right now. And it's really just it's the resiliency. They've come from behind. They've kind of shed that narrative, all the narratives surrounding this team. Lamar Jackson's like the narrative buster. You know, can't come from behind, can't throw the football. If you stop the run game, you know, you beat the Ravens. All those things, it's going to waste now because you see Lamar Jackson take a huge leap in year four. His passing has just improved astronomically, something that he's grown every single season. The defense has had some struggles. The offensive line is going through a lot of combinations at the moment. They really haven't found a set one yet just because there have been so many injuries. But overall, I'd say very impressed and just completely impressed with the resiliency the team has had. Do you think the change, the forced change in running game from that three-headed monster we saw last season and now to what is basically an obliterated running back room and Lamar Jackson having to do a lot of them yourself, is that going to lead to a, a long-term change in the in the running philosophy at the Ravens and maybe the offense in general? Or do you think they're going to flip back once they get all their bodies healthy again, maybe look to restock that running back room over the course of next offseason uh, or do you think it is going to gonna maybe stay, philosophically-wise, uh, a little bit less run-heavy in the future for the Ravens' offense? You know, I think the Ravens always wanted to kind of not necessarily move away, away from the run dominance, but they, they wanted to throw the ball a little bit more. And that was before the injuries to Dobbins and Edwards, but I think that kind of jump-started a little bit more than anticipated. We, we've seen the Ravens have some flashes from those veteran running backs like Latavius Murray and, and Devonta Freeman, Le'Veon Bell, but this isn't 2016 or 2017 anymore. Those guys have lost a step or two. So I think when, you know, for example, against Cincinnati in Week 7, Lamar Jackson averaged 7.3 yards per carry. All other non-Lamar Jackson ball carriers averaged 2.3. So it's kind of like the discrepancy between having a player like a Dobbins or an Edwards on your team it's kind of given me a little bit more, not respect for the running back position. I've always had respect for it, but it kind of puts it in perspective, right? Everybody says running backs are super replaceable. And by the mm -hmm. time they're 30, you can just toss them away because they're not good anymore. But we've seen firsthand how such a dominant run team like the Ravens, the stats will say they're really good. You know, they're a top five rushing offense for sure, but those stats have been skewed a little bit. And with Jackson and his evolution as a passer this season, I think when Dobbins and Edwards do get healthy, they're going to have a really good running game coming back. Not that they you know, don't right now, but it's just not the same. But once they get those players back, they'll be able to have their run game feed off of that pass game and the pass game feed off of the run game, I think, a lot more than they have in the past. And that'll make their offense even more deadly than we saw it. Maybe even in 2019. And we all know how that season went. It was a dominant 14 into year for them. Yeah, and with Lamar, like you're saying, the, the strides that he's made this season, especially in the passing game, and like the narratives that have been brought out, and you mentioned it briefly there at the start, and one of them obviously is you go ahead against the Ravens, they can't pass on you to get back into a game, which Lamar has basically thrown out uh, completely with obviously the inclusion more of Marquise Brown in the passing game and obviously Mark Andrews, who's continued to be uh, one of the best tight ends in the league. But it's with the emergence of 
Duvernay and and obviously the rookie Bateman as well has has given um, Jackson a lot more of those uh, options to to pass to and has made a, a like a fully rounded offense for that team teams defenses really do fear. Yeah, no, I completely agree. This is by far the best receiving core Lamar Jackson's had to throw the football to. You mentioned Bateman, Marquise Brown, you know, Mark Andrews is in there too. They have a bunch of guys who can play football. And, you know, you look back to like his rookie season, his 2019 MVP, or he was throwing to Michael Crabtree and like Seth Roberts and Willie Sneed. And, you know, and I'm not trashing those guys, but I personally would rather have a core of, of Marquise Brown or Rashad Bateman and all the players he has right now. And they all just offer different skill sets, but they play off of each other very well. You can move them all around the football field. Greg Roman, I think, has done a better job this year with his play calling. You know, it was a big concern in 2020 what he was doing for them. So I think that with Bateman coming back and really looking the part, 11 of his 12 catches have gone for first downs. He's a, he's a certified chain mover, as I like to call him. Marquise Brown has shown strides, some veteran strides I really like as well. He comes back to the football helping out his quarterback, which I think the Ravens needed a veteran presence with Sammy Watkins, and they got that. So hopefully he'll be able to come back for this Thursday game. But they now have the depth. You know, if the Ravens had suffered an injury in the wide receiver room for the last couple of seasons, they really weren't working with a lot in terms of depth. But now they have guys like Devin Duvernay and James Prochet and Tylen Wallace in the tight end room. They're getting McBoyle back, hopefully, for this game. So that's a big boost for their run game. And he's also a pretty good pass catcher. But the way that these receivers are playing for Lamar Jackson, I mean, it certainly helps for what he's doing, their ability to get open, make catches, and really help. Not only his, you know, pure box score stats, but his efficiency. It's helped his efficiency as well be really, really good this season. Have you been happy, Kevin, with the output you've seen from Sammy Watkins so far? Obviously, he hasn't been available for every game so far this season, but he's at the moment short of by about half on Marquise Brown's uh, total yards over the season and hasn't got a touchdown to his name yet. Are you happy with other things he's doing away from the ball, or would you like to see that output? improve towards the second half of this season no i have been impressed i know the the box score stats won't say it but he's actually been very good for them this year he's drawing attention away from players like marquise brown and hopefully when he gets back and he's able to come in with Rashad bateman Rashad bateman as well mark andrews the watkins was brought in i think to be more of a veteran presence on this team not not to say that he can't contribute on the field he's done it but i i feel like you know, the Ravens before Watkins had just so many young players. They really didn't have a veteran. It was 23-year-olds, 22-year-olds, 21-year-olds, 24-year-olds. So they needed somebody to say, you know, hey, let's stabilize this room a little bit with a veteran who's been through a lot of things at the NFL level. Sammy Watkins, a Super Bowl champion, has been there multiple times. So he knows what it takes to win a championship. And, you know, Watkins isn't like this 34-year-old either. He's still a younger veteran. He's on the younger side of things. But I, I think that when he comes back, giving Lamar Jackson that trio of Brown, Bateman, and Watkins is going to be so deadly because, as I talked about before, you can move them. You can put Watkins in the slot if you want to. You can move Bateman there if you want. Brown, they, they have so many options, whether they want to use three receiver sets, four receiver sets. So I think Watkins has played his role very well. And honestly, I'm interested to see how he's able to fit back into this offense with Bateman back and, and Boyle also as well. How have you felt the offensive line have, have performed? Because uh, injuries sort of curtailed the end of last season. We've seen injuries now, and obviously with the loss of Orlando Brown. Injuries as well this year, Ronnie Sandley, of course, um, going out. Um one name that interests me was um, Alejandro Villanueva. He sort of struggled there. He played. He started the season, I believe, at right tackle, and then when the Ronnie Stanley injury happened, he he moved over to left, um, and he seems to be a lot more comfortable there. Uh, how, 
in the line in general though how you feel the how you think sorry i should say how they've played you know i'd probably say the word is inconsistent and honestly it's not a shock and i'm not sure any team would be able to not have inconsistent play considering how many combinations this team has gone through. You mentioned Villanueva. The Ravens brought him in with the idea of shifting him over to the right side. He's a career left tackle. So coming over from Pittsburgh, they put him there in week one. It did not look good. And also Ronnie Stanley, unfortunately, didn't look good because he was still obviously dealing with the effects from his ankle injury. He suffered back in 2020. Baltimore decided to shut Stanley down for the season. Stanley opting to have another ankle surgery. So he's now done. So with that, the Ravens move Villanueva right back to the left side where he's looked definitely better. I think it couldn't get much worse than what we saw in week one. He, I, I still think, you know, the word I'm coming back to is inconsistent because there'll be plays, quarters, halves where he looks really good, you know, really solid in his sets, good hand placement. But he really prides himself in part of his game is swiping down and trying to break opponents contact with him. And so when he misses, he's missed sometimes and we see opponents just drive him back because when he loses all of his sets and all of his momentum there he's able to just be pushed he's a very big man but he has a lot of upper body strength it's not necessarily in his legs so with him being there the Ravens got great play on the right side from Patrick McCarry who was ultimately blown away was replacing when Stanley went down he's now out with a high ankle sprain we don't know when he's going to come back it seems like it'll maybe be a week or two more so they've had to turn to Tyree Phillips who at this point in his career I believe is more of a guard but he can play tackle he played tackle in college They've gotten decent play from their interior. Bradley Bozeman's played pretty well at center after moving over. Kevin Zeitler's as solid as they come on the offensive line, a really nice veteran. And then they have had a kind of a rotation. Phillips started in week one at left guard. He was put on injured reserve. Then there was a rotation of Ben Powers and Ben Cleveland. Then Cleveland was placed on injured reserve. So it's Ben Powers. It's just, you know, injuries, injuries, injuries. So I, I think that all things considered, you know, the unit's been admirable this season. It it's, hasn't been amazing. But with all the injuries, I think people – weren't expecting it to be absolutely the best unit in the NFL. So hopefully in the second half as they maybe get a bit healthier, they can continue to grow and I think come into their own as, as the season goes on. I believe they, they've brought on as well um, former Seahawks Cedric Obwehi as well. Yeah. Is there any indication that he might get a few reps there at right tackle? They definitely could. You know, if Phillips struggles, I think they view Obwehi as somebody who can come in and give them snaps. Right now he's... A player who is still learning, though, he just got to the team a couple weeks ago, so how much he knows the playbook. He's been working hard, apparently. The coaching staff has raved about his work ethic and what he's been able to do since he's gotten there. So if Phillips goes down, I think he's definitely the next man up, you know, former first-round pick, so he definitely has some talent. Hasn't been the best career for a boy at the NFL level, but I still think he can contribute. If the Ravens need a body there, Phillips goes down or somebody else even. Yeah, and uh, sorry, Phil, are you going to say something? No, no, go ahead. You finish your point, and, and I'll... I was actually going to move over to to the defense. So um, was I. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to move over over to the defense because there's still question marks about whether or not uh, Tua is going to play tonight. If not, of course, it'll be uh, Jacoby Brissett taking his place. Um, and we saw on Sunday that um, Brissett did not really look good, even against one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And of course, with with of course uh, Don Martindale and and his keenness you could say in blitzing um the quarterback it could be a difficult game if uh two starts and we spoke earlier that um if this is the right game to bring him back in because rib injury and a finger injury as well against a team that blitzes as much as the ravens and an offensive line as poor as the dolphins 
you know, this this might not be the best time to to have two at play. Yeah, I if I was personally on offense, I don't know if I'd put him out there in this game on a short week, you know, two two games in five days, and he, he had to leave that game early against, you know, Houston. So I think that for the Ravens, if they do get Tua, it's kind of like almost like the best of both worlds in some cases for who they're playing on the football field. Because with Tua, he's never seen this Ravens defense before. And you mentioned Don Martindale. His defense is so complex. His blitz packages are so exotic that generally, not all the time, but generally you see first-year players, second-year players, third-year quarterbacks really struggle when they haven't seen this Ravens defense for the first time. We saw it with Justin Herbert, who was facing the Ravens for the first time in Week 6, but then Joe Burrow, on the other hand, absolutely torched them in Week 7. That was his second time. So the first time young quarterbacks don't generally do well, but if it is Brissett, you know, how much of an upgrade is that? I don't know if it's much of one, if any. So with the offensive line, as you mentioned, just how – poor it's been how porous it's been this season the Ravens aren't necessarily a super high sack team you know they're tied for 26 in sacks with 15 they average just under two sacks a game so it hasn't been a strong suit for them so far this year but they're a high pressure team so they can force a quarterback to roll out of the pocket if two is available I think that the Dolphins maybe will want to play him I don't know if that's the smartest decision or not but whether it is Tua or Brissett I still am expecting a pretty big day from the defense for Baltimore Kevin, the last time we were talking, it was in the preseason and we were looking a lot at the free agency. And I, I seem to remember we were talking about the linebacker core and you had key guys. It was Tyus Bowser that ended up getting re-signed. You had to let a couple of guys go. How have you felt he has played given that he was the one that was kept and also the big or one of the big free agent signs, Calais Campbell? How has he fit into that off our defense? And have you been happy with the output of those two guys in particular? Yeah, you know, I think for Bowser, Bowser's somebody who really comes in and plays his role. And he's not necessarily going to be this high sack guy and somebody who's going to come in and like get 10 sacks a season. But he's somebody who I think is really good in coverage. He's one of the better cover linebackers in the NFL. And with him, he can play off of the players on his defense, you know, with the addition of Justin Houston and how that's going, Clays Campbell. And he, he's playing at an all-pro level this year, I think, in Clays Campbell. He's somebody who is playing a ton of snaps. He's played the most snaps on the defensive line this season. But I think also just having Houston in Baltimore is so big for guys like Bowser and Adafi Owe, who was the Ravens' first-round pick. Even Dalen Hayes wasn't played a ton this season. Now, as I, as I did talk about, the Ravens aren't a super high-sack team, and I don't think that necessarily – shows how good or bad they've been against you know quarterbacks this season because they are able to force them out of the pocket. It's just a matter of getting them down and finishing the play. If they can do that, if they can stop having the quarterbacks buy time, I think Bowser's a big part of that. Houston, Campbell as well. I think the defense, especially the pass defense, which has struggled a bit this season, you know, admittedly, could really take off in the second half. How have you felt uh, Patrick Queen has played? It's the second year um, in the coming into the league he sort of have to assume that sort of you know main middle linebacker role um with uh cj fort or lj fort i should say going out with his injury and you know the second season is always an important one when, when rookies come into the league and um i'm just looking even from a more like personal point of view because obviously Jordan Brooks with the Seahawks he was uh, drafted one pick before Patrick Queen and sort of he's having his difficulties in his second year but how has uh, Queen gotten on? Yeah it's definitely been a mixed bag <laughs> I think that's the best way to describe it. Queen had a great week one against Las Vegas in Las Vegas and then after that we saw a bit of a drop off and it was a pretty big one 
Uh, you know, he he couldn't tackle. I think he was doubting himself a little bit. His cover skills weren't there. And then we see the insertion of Josh Bynes into the starting lineup that started. And Queen has looked a lot better. Queen was moved to more of a will linebacker role. And, and Josh Bynes has taken over the mic. And I just think it's having a veteran there to really calm down a player like Queen. Who's, he's still so young. He still has so much room to grow. And he's shown flashes. But the Ravens were in a similar situation a couple of years ago of C.J. Mosley. C.J. Mosley, you know, one of the better linebackers in the NFL, really made a name for himself in Baltimore. He was next to a guy named Patrick Owasso, who Owasso playing next to Mosley, who was a veteran, played great football. And the Ravens ended up trusting him after Mosley left with the keys to the defense. And they placed a young linebacker and Kenny Young next to Owasso, and they, the duo just could not do anything right. You know, it was a real struggle for them. So having a veteran in the lineup just for young players as they try to learn and, and get their confidence back has been so huge for Queen. And he's looked a lot better. I think he's looked more confident in these last couple of weeks. He's been making tackles and tackling better. And I know that everybody on a winning team and when you're either rooting for a winning team or looking at a winning team, the mistakes are just magnified. You know, if Patrick Queen was playing for a team that was one in seven and rebuilding, the mistakes would be a little bit more acceptable because it's like, all right, he's going to play through those and make them. But on a winning team like Baltimore, you know, mistakes are, they're not as they're frowned upon, you know, and, and really players get criticized for them. So I think that for Queen, you have to preach patience with him. He obviously has a lot of expectations and a lot of play because he was a first round pick, but he knows he had to play better. And he, he acknowledged that. And I think so far over these last couple of weeks, he's shown the potential that he has. Yeah, and, and looking just further back in the field, you mentioned the loss of Marcus Peters since the start of the season. Interestingly enough, before the trade deadline, of course, it was reported that um, the Ravens made a move for Xavier Howard, who, of course, will be coming up against. Um, how has the, the cornerback position played, especially now uh, tonight coming up against uh, Jalen Waddle, who probably is is going to be the best um the best wide receiver there as well as tight end, of course, Mike Gesicki. So um, Marlon Humphrey, of course, is continuing to, to play sort of well, but how was I, I, I believe Anthony Averitt um, has, has sort of been on the other side. How have they played together? Yeah, they, they've, they've played well. I think Humphrey, so each corner's had their like big struggle game. Marlon Humphrey was against Cincinnati and Jamar Chase, where Chase just torched him, especially in the second half. Averitt against Indianapolis was just thrown at and everything against him was caught. But other than those two games, I think the duos played really well. Averitt stepped in for Marcus Peters and played really well. And he's even shown that over the past couple of seasons. He's had to step up in some games where Jimmy Smith has been hurt and Humphrey had to miss a game. So he's shown it. He's he's in a contract here. So I think, I think he's earned himself a lot of money. Humphrey's still one of the best corners in the NFL. You know, I'm not really concerned about that Cincinnati game. He, he, he and... He and Chuck Clark, I believe it was, there was a miscommunication on a Justin Jefferson touchdown again in Minnesota against week nine. But I do think that, you know, that, that's just stuff. He ended up bouncing back well in the second half. The Ravens do lose to Sean Elliott, as I mentioned, and that's a big loss. They'll be relying on guys like Brandon Stevens, a rookie, potentially Geno Stone, even Jimmy Smith in a kind of hybrid corner safety role to take on that responsibility. Chuck Clark's played great this year. I think he's the unsung hero of this defense outside of Josh Bynes. He's someone who can move all around the defense, has the green dot, and just does so much well for them. And, you know, they, they have had other contributors. Tavon Young coming back from an injury has played very well in the slot. He's one of the better slot corners, in my opinion. It's just they haven't put it together, whether it be, be because of missed tackles. For example, that Jamar Chase touchdown, I believe it was 82 yards in Week 7. 
they could have had him down for six if they just tackled him. But, but you know, he breaks all those tackles and all those yards after the catch. You know, it, it makes the Ravens' defense look a lot, I think, worse than it is. But we have seen the Ravens. Their defense is a bend-don't-break unit, so they'll play off coverage in a lot of situations where usually you're thinking, why aren't you pressing them? And then they'll take the underneath stuff, and the Ravens pride themselves on stopping teams in the red zone. So there are a lot of numbers that go into it, but I think the duo of Humphrey and Avert have played well this year, but they just haven't put it together as a team yet, but maybe over the second half they can't. Okay, and, and finally, before we, we let you go, Kevin, um, is there any sort of keys to this game that you're looking out for there tonight? Is there any other areas of the pitches that, that you feel is vital for the Ravens to get the better of to win this game? No, I think just starting fast. The Ravens have kind of struggled to do that over the past couple of weeks and even for most of the season. So if they can get off to a fast start and with the way that Miami's offensive line has played this year, which is how they've struggled, the Dolphins had really high expectations, I think, coming in this season, and they just have not lived up to them. If the Ravens can get off to a 14-3 to lead or a 17-0 lead and they can force that ball control offense, which they've really been known for over the past couple of seasons, and take time off the clock with 10-minute drives or 8-minute drives or whatever it may be, this could be a really quick game. You know, I expect Baltimore to, after having all these close games, to really come out and make a statement. The last three matchups against the Dolphins, the Ravens have played. The Ravens have outscored the Dolphins 137 to 16. That's an average of over 40 points a game. So I think that just with the way things have gone, with Lamar Jackson at the helm, with just how often Miami has struggled this season, if the Ravens can start off fast and kind of make the Dolphins go one dimension on offense, I think the Ravens could really have a dominant win. Excellent. And finally, then, uh, what what's your prediction for later? Yeah, you know, Baltimore win, obviously. Yeah. You know, I think I've gone back and forth on this. I'm going to say it's going to be 34 to 16 Ravens with maybe that score looking a bit closer than the game actually is because maybe okay. a late field goal or a touchdown from Miami. But I think we might see Tyler Huntley in this one because the Ravens are just winning by a lot. We saw Robert Griffin the third in the last matchup because Lamar Jackson just didn't have to play because the final score is 59 to 10. So, yeah, I'm going to go with that. And I think the Ravens will come out of this one seven and two. Okay, excellent. So you see it now. They're feeling 34 to 16 win. Um, so that means they'll bet that be the over. So I think we've got our bet there for Thursday. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, it's been so uh, it's been so good to speak to you again. As always, before we let you go, uh, where can people find your work? Yeah, guys, it's always a blast talking with you. Um. On Twitter at ChaosTracker34. Also, I host and produce the Locked On Ravens podcast. We talk about the Ravens five days a week there, Monday through Friday. Our content comes out at 6 a.m. Eastern time. I also am the managing editor over at Ravens Wire. So I write about the Ravens seven days a week over there. So it's nonstop Ravens for me. If you need anything about the team, whether it's in written or in audio form, you know, just come check out my work. I'll probably have it for you. Excellent. And it is excellent work indeed. I do recommend people check it out, whether it is the podcast or the written work. Again, Kevin, thanks so much for taking time to speak to us. We hope you enjoy the game later. Yeah, absolutely, guys. You too. Thanks so much. And that is where we're going to call this show this evening. Uh, Fiona, as always, thank you so much. Thank you. And um, don't forget to follow us on our social pages, Twitter at UndercenterPod, uh, Instagram at UndercenterPod, and make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel as well under center podcast that's where you'll get each show every time it goes out if you prefer the audio side just search wherever you get your podcasts under center podcast you'll find it there again all of our shows are uploaded in podcast form too um but we hope you enjoy the game later and until next time stay safe and we'll see you soon